0: From Potomac Fund Management, this is the Conquer Risk Podcast. Join us as we discuss the business of running an RIA firm and the practice of investment management. And now, our hosts.
1: Welcome to the Conquer Risk Podcast. My name is Manish Khada, and as as always, I have Jeff Goodnow with us. How are you doing today?
0: Not too shabby. I'm loving Florida. Loving it. Good good start to the new year. It it beats the heck out of Kansas City in the wintertime. Yeah, (laughs) for sure.
1: Well, something, something I want to talk about that's um, you know, dear to me just because I'm so involved in it is the concept of a trading system. Reason being is, as you know, we've worked with advisors our whole lives and our whole careers, at least. And as markets get to this level of frothiness, uh, not just advisors, but clients also, you know, they have a different sense of um, what's the word I'm looking for? ego I guess in terms of their ability to manage money or manage portfolios not that there's anything wrong with that but at the same time you know you and I are big believers in process systems uh, putting something in place that allows you to properly allocate and so with that being said today we really want to talk about um, our experiences in terms of money management and, and creating a trading system.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when it comes to trading systems, I mean, I've seen a lot of a lot of craziness, uh, you know, in my days. And and it really boils down to to this, you know, advisors are stuck when they're trying to manage portfolios themselves. They're they're sort of stuck between this um, angst of helping their clients, which obviously they need love and. There's only so much time in the day, and then they need to do this investment management piece, right? Which obviously is a backbone for showing the client's love. And uh, it's it's far too easy to end up not giving the investment management side enough time. And that's really the basis for this conversation is what can we do to help? The reality is I don't think most advisors realize how much extra is going on in the background of a professional money manager, right? So it's good to talk about these sorts of things because, you know, when it comes to recording, things like skipping trades, missing trades, you know, having what research you use to, for the basis of a trade or not making a trade and, you know, goodness knows most advisors don't do GIPs auditing, right? I mean, there's a ton of advisors out there managing money and and a lot of them are doing a good job as far as a performance standpoint, but that's not necessarily the same as being a professional money manager, and that's what we're going to kind of shed the light on today.
1: And and from what I'm hearing out in the space, broker dealers are becoming increasingly aggressive against advisors who are managing money unless they have a you know a repeatable process right. written down on paper. Uh, that they do over and over versus sort of just trading on their their gut or their instincts. well and that's a lot of where this uh, whole
0: model concept has come in the last three or four years there's been a huge push from broker dealers to force all the advisors to have models that they trade rather than every client is a one-off because it's just not trackable without doing that so
1: correct yeah uh, compliance issues and whatnot mm-hmm. so you know in terms of a trading system we're going to try to focus on the the, the back end of creating monitoring and, and, and maintaining right.
0: right right so so on that note right let's now we've got the background so if we want if an advisor wants to tra- create an investment trading strategy with the mindset of you know what I, I want to do this just as if I were a professional and that's all that I did where do we start
1: the first step really I think is down to self-awareness you know <laughs> what are your goals for this system do you want to create Alpha, do you want to protect? Do you wanna you know, lower your beta, lower your maximum drawdown? What are the goals of the system? That's the number one step because without knowing what you're trying to accomplish, you're, there's no way of getting there. So I would say self-awareness, trying to figure out what your goals are uh, for your trading system and or you know, the clients and models you wanna allocate towards that.
0: Okay. Well, what kinds of things, I mean, how do you decide what you're gonna trade? I mean, you know, the securities and instruments and things like that. I mean, what what goes into that process?
1: It comes down to the temperament, you know, of the advisor of the trader, and what I mean by that is, you know, trading futures, you know, soybean futures versus <laughs> a S and P index fund. It's a vastly different experience, uh, the way you trade, the way you execute, and the volatility. Uh, forget about futures for a sec. Let's talk about just stocks. You take a S&P 500 stock versus a Russell 3000 or a micro crap stock. You know, the volatility differences are, are absurd, right? You can have one that, that has, you know, 15, 20% gains in a day versus an S&P 500 stock. You know, that, that's that's highly unlikely. So you have to be able to decide sort of, you know, what your lane is, what do you want to trade uh, and whether that's stocks, ETFs, futures, whatever it is, and, and that's the next step in really, you know, developing your system and, and, and you know, perfecting it.
0: Yeah, I think a lot, uh, I think these two, these, this next thing is tied in very closely to what you're wanting to trade, and that is how often do you want to trade? And again, it goes back to my original concept, right, which is how much love can you show the investment management side while you're trying to take care of your book of business? And, you know, the, this trading frequency, can you touch on that a bit and what that looks like? Because that, that makes a big difference in how much time is spent or allotted to the management side.
1: Yeah, if you want to trade daily, every 15 seconds, weekly, monthly, that really, it's a big part of your trading system. Because if you're not in front of your computer, let's say you want to day trade you know you're not taking vacations you're in front of your computer every day if you're doing 15 second increments or 1 minute increments you have to be focused in front of your computer to make sure that you're executing these trades properly yes there's new systems out there that will automatically do this but that's not for everyone and so you have to really notice figure out your time commitment and your temperament to how much you want to trade and that's really the third step because before you can create a system you need to make sure that you're going to execute that system and we talk about you know sort of workout plans and diets and all that stuff a lot right the best one is the one that you can stick with if you create a daily trading system and decide to piss off and go somewhere (laughs) for two weeks you know what happened did you miss trades did you execute them so really deciding on you know what's going to fit your style in terms of timing of it
0: yeah well so that's i mean sticking to that you know you've you've talked about uh, not only the frequency there, but has markets change, right? Did you, should your philosophy change or should your process change? You know, 08 was a, an ugly one, right? And then we've had 10 years of nothing but easy passive investing. So what's that look like? Any thoughts there?
1: Yeah, it's. I'm going to give you a great example. So I we talk to advisors who trade all the time and they'll they'll get excited because, you know, I'm a money manager and they'll show me, you know, Let's take a a system for example. There's a a 13-week moving average over a 24-week moving average. I I forget the exact timing, but the the bottom line is, you know, you buy when the 13 is above the 25, and Mm -hmm. sell vice versa, right? It's a moving average crossover. And when you go back in time, it shows you uh, really good sells and exit points, right? But after 2008, it didn't give a buy till the close to the end of 2010. Now there's nothing wrong with that in hindsight, but the problem is: do you or your clients have the patience to sit out March of 09 till the end of 2010 without getting fired, without getting questions? So this is come, comes back to the adherence. You know, no matter what system you create, you gotta be able to stick with it. Doesn't matter if it's a bull market, a bear market. If you're gonna create a system, and for example, that mitigates risk, there's gonna be periods of time where you're just out of the market even though the market's going higher and that's something you have to live with you can't create a system that is great during bear markets and also great during bull markets that that just doesn't exist you have to there's some give and take between risk and return and it's no different when creating a system um that will actually work uh you have to have that balance
0: yeah okay so as we as we move on um one of the things that makes a difference too, and I've seen this because of all the different money managers that I've looked at in my career, you know, how many securities should you have, right? I mean, that's a that's a decision partially based on what kinds of securities you're looking at, but how, how heavy, how much weighting should you put in these things? Can you talk about sizing or what? That sort of situation
1: yeah i i think position sizing is one of the most underrated topics that no one talks about it, it, whether it's in conversation or on twitter we're always talking about what your allocation is you're i'm, I'm in tech i'm in this stock but how much you know are you 50 percent? are you 2 percent? position sizing makes a huge difference on whatever trading system you create you can trade a trading system that just trades 100 s p and that's your position. But if you want to diversify and do different asset classes, you have to make a decision on 10% in each, 20% in each. That really changes your risk and return parameters. And you'll see once you start playing with position sizing in certain asset classes, the risk increases the lower amount of positions you have, right? Because you're, you're no longer diversified. And it can get sort of enticing for someone who's creating a system to say, oh, well, let's make it, you know, two positions or, or one energy position versus diversifying it out. So once again, it comes down to your risk and reward balance and deciding on how many positions you want to take. In my ex- in my experience, anything over 10 Positions. If you really want to it diversify it, it, it's almost pointless. You're just going to look like a worse version of the S and P five hundred. So usually, in that six to ten range is a good idea for positions. But but that's just my two cents. It really depends on how you want to create and how you want to execute your system. Yeah, and
0: I think part of this, it, it'd be good to to explain that we're dealing with mutual funds and ETFs, right? So when we say six to ten positions, uh, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of underlying holdings inside of that. But that's very different from of us using individual stocks and saying, hey, we're only gonna pick six Correct. stocks yeah, that's, and that's a roll great our point, dough with uh, you know, yeah. I hope IBM works this time.
1: <laughs> Correct. And even like options and all that right. stuff. But but let's but you know, most of the advisors that we're talking to and dealing right. with are not trading futures Correct. in a hundred different stock positions. They are allocating towards mutual funds and ETFs. Right maybe a couple stocks. Right. But that's it. Yeah. 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 But I just think it's good to get on
0: the, kind of get on the same page there. So there's no, no, uh, no miscommunication. Um, now this, this again, rolls itself right into the next step, which is you talked about the moving average of the 13 and the 24 and a crossover and all that fun stuff. Um, You know, a lot of advisors might have one or two things that they really look at as sort of the driving force behind when it's time to change an allocation. Can you speak to maybe a little bit, touch on our process for combining systems and, and why we combine systems and what do you think the pros and cons of that concept are?
1: I've seen money managers who promote sort of a red light, green light system where there's one indicator they use that they're either in or out of the market. And that is an extremely dangerous way to trade money, because no matter what system you create at one point in time, that it's going to fail. Right. So the holy grail of trading systems is to combine uncorrelated indicators. You have to have different inputs. If all of your inputs are moving average crossovers, you're going to get the same answer. Right. You can play with the with the, the lengths of the moving averages, but ultimately you're gonna get the same answer. So to us, it, the, the holy grail, like I said, is uncorrelated indicators. So you use a moving average on one, maybe you use some counter trend, Bollinger Bands, uh, and also different inputs in terms of what you're looking at. If you're trading the S&P 500, you might wanna look at indicators that focus on rates in terms of uh, how the Fed lowers and increases rates. Right. And, and that's what we found to be the key is to really take these, these multiple different data points and multiple indicators and sort of combine them together. And it, it, it's not perfect, but it allows you to sort of have that fail safe, right? The worst thing in money management is to have that oh shit moment where you look back and what happened? How am I down 40%? You know, I had these, these systems and risk management things in place. And sometimes, you know, they, they fail you. So the right. combination of them is, is really key. Yeah.
0: And and for the record, I have seen a money manager go from $900 million to about two fifty in a year because of, uh, you know, more of the red light, green light. Hey, they've got something that's just been working for 10 years, and it's just kicking and, and doing great. And then it just stopped working, and there was no... There was no rebound but from every, that because yeah, it, it, there every, wasn't anything else system. to adjust, right? It's, it's all been based yeah. on this one thing, and that one thing stopped working. So,
1: well, let me get can I, here's a great example. Yeah. There's a, a Fed indicator that we've used off and on through the years, and you and I have talked about this. It was never designed for negative rates, right? It was never designed to have rates this low when it was created. So there's changes you have to make to it. There's adjustments you have to make when the data changes. There's indices that just stop reporting. They just close. So if you create a system where you're getting data on a certain indice and it stops reporting, well, guess what? You're gonna to have to choose a new one. And so, you know, it this is why you always have to have backups and backups and backups. You cannot, every system I've ever tested eventually runs into issues. And failing doesn't have to mean it goes down 50%. Right. Failing can mean it doesn't give a buy signal for 4 or 5 years. It may be right in hindsight 20 years later, but can you survive that that time when you're sitting out of the market? Yeah.
0: Well, and I think hopefully this conversation has gone to to point out again it's not intended to be derogatory to advisors that are managing money and maybe don't have really solid systems. They could have great track records and done their clients well. But it's about the kinds of things that we as professional money managers have to go through to be, in fact, that. Uh, that that's all we do as a professional money manager, right? If they're outsourced uh, from, from other advisors. So um, these are some of the things that are really critical to think about. The size, the type, the frequency, the recording, the reporting, the, the combining of systems. Uh, any other thoughts that you have along this line that advisors should be aware of as far as the concept or the process of of uh creating a trading system from a again a professional third-party management level
1: well technology you know yeah. there, there's tons of systems out there Good and point. you can it, there you can get something basic um i know the circles i run in uh the deep programmers who are starting to use things like python uh, we use amy broker which has their own afl language and then we have some custom coding and some some old coding system that's not even worth mentioning in in public (laughs) um but uh uh and excel that's why we're up frankly there's a lot of things yeah (laughs) there's a lot of things you can do in excel that, that that really help but uh but yeah i mean you have to you you have to have some sort of background but there's a lot of people you can hire to help you if you have a conceptualized sort of idea of what you want to trade how you want to trade it programmers can come in and sort of create that so you can test it which i still think is a good idea versus just you know throwing darts at a board and, and, and guessing. So you definitely need to have some coding background to at least start this process or at least hire someone to come help you. But it, it's code intensive if you really start getting into developing these deep systems.
0: Yeah, well, as we run near the end of this, uh, you mentioned testing. Is there anything that you want to throw in there in regards to the testing process of systems and and an ongoing basis?
1: So the testing is actually the, the, the biggest... Um, component that doesn't get talked about. Because if you can create a system and go run a back test, and let's say the results are fantastic. But there's like six trades in 70 years or something. Like it's not realistic, right? You have to have enough data sets, and you can't just choose that the one that has the best return and the least amount of risk. It's about reality. Well, you can figure out. (laughs) Well, you can, yeah. Uh, But like you got to figure out how many trades it's generating. Are you really going to sit there and generate 365 trades a year? Like what is your temperament? So the back testing is really important to figure out. Okay, how many trades were generated? Uh, What, if any, are tax consequences and what's your risk and return parameters and figuring out something you're comfortable with uh, from a risk and return perspective, because you and I know there's you're not going to have all the return in the world with half the risk. That's that's not feasible right right? so you have to be able to balance those two and and stick with it you know we have a rule here when it comes to underlying indicators unless they value uh, violate their maximum drawdown they don't get thrown out that's that's how it works so if something if an underlying indicator uh, violates that maximum drawdown that's when it starts to get looked at like hey what what went wrong you know what can we adjust mm-hmm. if need be? Or does this just need to be thrown out? Does it just not work anymore? Right. All right.
0: So any other thoughts before we uh, move on to recommendations?
1: No. I, this is, I love this stuff. Cool. So if there's any questions or comments, for sure, more than happy to, to walk through sort of how we do it, yeah. some of the programming behind it. Um, You know, we're usually pretty open about this with our advisors to show them some of these things so they have an idea that it's not just you and I randomly picking shit, (laughs) you know, whenever we feel like it.
0: All right. So what's your recommendation?
1: Numa. So they're now in Whole Foods. It's a coconut electrolyte drink. Uh, There's a story behind it. I'm not just a uh, foo-foo Whole Foods uh, person. Stop barfing I can't can't do coconut, bro. It's delicious. Okay. My family spent time in Akron over the summer. It's a Cleveland-based company. They supported... Um, a charity event we did, and handed out a bunch of this. It's it's so delicious, it's addictive. Also, our former graphic designers that helped us with a lot of stuff. Also, I think did the design work for Numa. Cool. And uh, the website I think is nooma.com acom We'll put it in the show notes. It's delicious. It's not cheap, but
0: you know, give it a try. All right. Well, I'll keep mine short and to the point. I mentioned I'm loving Florida. Zachary Taylor RV Resort is a great place down here. Now, it's a primarily over 55. I'm not there yet, but there are a few people they will let in uh, you know, to keep a little balance here. Uh, but it's a wait, great wait, little wait, 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 wait,
1: wait, 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 wait. So this is funny. So when you're 18, you probably have a fake ID to get beer, and now you're 50. Rock and on, You have a fake ID to get into a 55 and over <laughs> RV park? Yeah,
0: well, you know, at least <laughs> they don't have to show like a receipt for your colonoscopy to get in. <laughs> but anyway, on that note, our, our, our podcast is going down the tubes. Uh, we'll close it with that. Uh, like, subscribe. We appreciate any comments. Uh, shoot them to us on the PotomacFund.com website, connect us uh, page, and we'll go from there. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks. All opinions expressed by podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Potomac Fund Management.